0: can relate to that. Thank God. He's a God of second chances. Mm. Hey, I want to just ask you if uh, you would pray for um, me and uh, Amy and uh, 475 of our closest friends. We're getting ready to go to the beach tomorrow. So... um, Uh, all of our high schoolers and middle schoolers and a bunch of bunch of workers and some of our staff are going to be heading to, uh, to Myrtle Beach tomorrow for Rush Camp. And uh, I am truly excited. And uh, I want to it is true; it's, it's one of the most significant weeks in, in the whole year of our church. And uh, to, the, the opportunity to see some of our high school and middle school students truly engage with the Lord, away from all of the influences and the stuff that distracts them. And to really see them get honest and authentic and do business with God, it's just priceless to me. So uh, James and Brad will be speaking in the morning. I'll be speaking in the evening and and just be praying while we're communicating and all the other stuff that happens with the small groups that God will truly do some amazing work in the lives of our kids. Now, over the last few weeks, uh, we have been tackling a very important issue in this church. Matter of fact... Uh, I made the comment this past week that uh, I I think that this may be the most important series that we have ever done as a church. Uh, Bar none. I mean, this has been just eye-opening and life-changing, I know, for a lot of folks, including myself. And um, it's been great. What's the purpose of all of this? Why are we engaged in in a series like this? Well, I want to say this. This has not been about attacking uh, traditional church. The past, uh, it's not a knock at the past. It's not been aimed at one specific group of people. It's not a criticism of denominations. It's none of those things. We're doing what exactly what Jesus did when he was here on earth. We're defining what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and we're taking s- basically a lot of false teaching that we've picked up over the ages and over the years, and we're replacing it with truth. We're attempting to replace the religious mindset of the day with the truth of God's word. We're we're doing basically what Jesus did uh, with the Pharisees, who who, uh, were filled up with this religious mindset, filled with with man-made rules and regulations that had nothing to do uh, with God, but just did nothing but weigh people down and and, and fill them up with baggage and guilt and burdens. I mean, we're tackling that mindset. And I'm guessing that probably in the midst of this whole series, some of you may have struggled a little bit with some of the things that I've said. I mean, I've, I've been kind of hard-hitting in this series. And I, and I know, I know it's certainly stirred up some very lively conversation. I've had some attacks hurled at me through the Internet uh, for some things that I've said over the last fat, uh, few weeks. And one of the things I've learned is if, is if you're truly doing something for Jesus Christ, you're going to get attacked. That's just part of, of walking with Christ. It's part of doing ministry. But it's funny how a lot of those attacks... And arrows rarely ever get shot with any Scripture backing them up. Or if they do have Scripture backing them up, a lot of times the Scripture is used totally out of context. And I was reminded this past week that when Jesus took on the religious of the day um, and this same religious mindset that we have been confronting and tackling over the last few weeks, he was not only misunderstood, not only was he attacked himself, but he was eventually crucified. So with that said, let's jump in a little deeper this morning alright and uh, get your Bibles turned to Romans chapter 12 what, we've been talking over the last few weeks about what does it look like to be a true authentic follower of Jesus Christ and, and we've been in Romans chapter 12 and we've kind of laid it out this way verse 1 tells us that we need to be we need to be surrendered fully to God holding nothing back the second thing is we need to be separated from this world living in the world but set apart from it set apart from the world the other thing we talked about last week is we need to be honest. We've got to get honest about ourselves. We've got to be honest about our strengths, and we've got to be honest about our weaknesses. Our opinion of ourselves can't be too high, because that's pride. It can't be too low. It's got to be just right. It's got to be genuine humility, which means we really don't think of ourselves at all. We celebrate our strengths, we work on you know, our strengths, and we bring other people around us to fill in the gaps for our weaknesses. And with all of that, we have a clear acceptance of the truth of what God says about us, what he really truly thinks about us, that we are eternally valuable, that we are unconditionally accepted, and that we are uniquely significant. And we, we got to get our arms around all of that. And if you remember uh, a few weeks back when we were introducing this series, we talked about the fact that, that being a true follower of Jesus Christ uh, was not about uh, following a set of religious rules and regulations. It was, it was more about a relationship. It was about developing a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's vertical. It's upward. All right? But also understand this. It's also horizontal. Being a true, authentic follower of Jesus Christ has a lot to do, and it's played out in the way that we relate to other people. It's played out in how we treat other people. Not just people outside the walls of this church, but also people on the inside of this church. How we treat each other, how we treat others outside of the wall of this church is the greatest reflection of what is happening in your heart this morning. How we love each other, how we love others in the community is the greatest testament of whether you are truly a disciple of Jesus or not. And I would say that one of the biggest reasons... Why people have been turned off to the church, why people have been turned off to Christianity, is because over the years they have watched the ugliness that goes on between church people. They've watched the fighting. They've heard about the fighting. They've heard about arguments. They've seen people leave the church mad. They've they've heard some of the gossip. They've watched some of the backbiting and the slandering. And they, 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 they don't see a picture of reconciliation. And they wonder... Well, where's the difference? I mean, I get that at my job place. Why would I want to get up on Sunday morning, a day off from me? I could sleep in, go to the lake, whatever. Why would I want to drive, get my family ready, and go be part of that? Engage my family in that. Engage myself in that. I mean, I get that not only my work. I can get that in my neighborhood. I can get it at my community pool. All day long. I think I told you before that uh, the summer that we moved here, which was actually 13 years ago this month, uh, June, we I counted up six church splits that were happening in the area at the same time. It could have been more, but I just remember there were six church splits, and people in the community were talking about it. I mean, we were meeting people that we'd never met before because we were new, and people were talking about, yeah, over there at that split, and over there at that church, they're splitting, and I just thought, my goodness, what's going on here? Um, About three years after we moved here, I had a pastor call me on the phone. He was a a pastor of one of the traditional churches in town, had been one of the flagship churches, had been here in the community for a long time, and he kind of reached out and, and engaged me and befriended me, which I really appreciated that. And I didn't really know folks. I was just trying to get to l- learn other pastors and get to know them. And um, he called me on the phone one day and he said, hey, listen, um, there is a, a group of us pastors that meet together. And in this local restaurant and and we get together from uh Paulding and douglas and and just get to know each other and you know kind of encourage each other and be a support to each other and i want i want to pick you up at your office uh and it's on this day and i want you to ride with me and i said that'd be great i'd love to be part of that again i i didn't really know a lot of folks and um and so i was looking forward to that i put it on my calendar and about uh the, the day before that event was supposed to happen uh he called me on the phone he said listen i gotta talk to you he said um I, I told one of my friends that I was bringing you with me, one of my pastor friends, and, and he ended up telling some of the other pastors that you were coming, and he called me back, and he said um, that uh, the, the pastors have decided that if you come, um, they're not going to be there. They're not going to show up. And I said, really? He said, yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to be able to pick you up to take you to be part of the meeting. And I thought, my goodness, that just, that's just sad to me. I mean, I thought, well, man, I'm glad I'm not going to that lunch then. I mean, I, it, but it really, it just broke my heart. I had a pastor call me this past week who, who was in the area. Um, and he, he called me to tell me how much he appreciated a message I did in February. We did, I did a message on change. You might remember that. And um, he said, listen, he said, back in the fall we were going through a lot of transition. I had to release a staff member. And he said, man, I'm going to tell you what, it, it's just like everything got crazy here. He said, people were attacking me, people were accusing me of being cold hearted and being running the church like this and that. And he said he said, and we got accused of trying to be like Westridge. And and he goes, and people were attacking me for that. And he said, man, he said, with people leaving the church and calling for my resignation and threatening me, threatening my family. He said, now I get to I have got to walk around the church with a with a Paulding County Sheriff. And I said, Hey, welcome to welcome to, to the crowd. I get one too on Sunday mornings. Uh, but he said you know what he said about a month after all that happened he said after you gave that message so my wife pointed me to your website and I listened to that message he said, I sat there he said it just so connected and resonated with me because I realized so much of what you were talking we were going through that and I needed the encouragement I needed just to be uplifted to know that I can make it through this and he said and since then he said God has just been taking our church we've been growing again great things are happening but you know what what saddens me about all of these stories and I could I, listen I could keep telling you more and more stories what saddens me is that, that is a picture of what we've given to our community of what Jesus really looks like. That's the picture that, that we've given of what the church looks like and how it operates. That's the picture of Christianity. And so one of our goals when we moved here 13 years ago was to replace that picture, was to get rid of it, was to wipe that picture out, was to change the picture. One of the reasons we started Engage Atlanta two years ago was to change the way that not only the community thinks about the church, but the way they think about Jesus. Now, in John chapter 13, um, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. Uh, They're observing the Passover feast. We know it as the Last Supper, communion. And later in the evening, Jesus leaves the room. He crosses over the Kidron Valley. He enters into the Garden of Gethsemane. And then moments later, as he's praying, he's arrested by soldiers, some chief priests, and some Pharisees. Now, Jesus knew all along this was going to happen. He knew he was going to be arrested. He knew he was going to be crucified. Um, And so as he's sitting in the upper room with his disciples, sharing a meal, talking, he begins to share some important things on his heart. Now, being a pastor for quite a few years now, I've had the opportunity and and in a lot of ways a a privilege to sit next to people at their bedside while they're dying. And um, and, and as they're talking to me, they're, they're giving me just things that are important to them. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that when you're, when you're going to die, you tell people what is the absolute most important thing on your heart. And I've had the privilege of hearing some of those, those words. And that's what Jesus is doing in this passage in John 13. He is telling his disciples some of the things that are most important to him because in the just a few days, he's getting ready to die. And here's what he says in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are truly my disciples if you love one another. Now, when I was in seminary, um, I took a class called apologetics. Apologetic, the word apologetic means in defense of, okay? And the class was all about learning how to present a rational basis for Christianity, but also learning how to defend it as well. Um, in a, in, in, according to John 13... The greatest apologetic in the world of Christianity is Christians loving Christians. The greatest defense that we could ever give to this community of of what Jesus really looks like, of of Christianity, is when we truly love each other. Now, in John chapter 17, oh, if you want to clap, please do. Don't don't give me that. Listen. Listen. All right, if you, I'm going to get fired up now. If y'all want to do that kind of thing, I'll just, we'll just get going, all right? Come on. All right, so John 17, Jesus lays out a prayer. It's the only time in the Bible Jesus actually prays for us, okay? In verse 20, here's what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, he says, I want those who have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you love me before the creation of the world. Now, what are we talking about here this morning? We're talking about being an answer to Jesus' prayer. All right? We are talking about becoming a group of people that loves each other so much that the world stops and takes notice and then just runs to be, become part of it. They're not getting it at their job. They're not getting it at the community. They're not getting it in their neighborhood. They won't, they're desperate for it. They run to become part of it. We're talking about coming together in such oneness and unity that not only is Jesus lifted up and glorified, but also the landscape of the community becomes radically changed because of it. We're talking about not only changing the way that people view church, but also changing the way that people view Jesus. Here's the bottom line. We're talking this morning about authentic community, where we serve each other out of love instead of guilt or obligation, where we are honest about our lives without... Fear of, of being judged where we, are, where we accept each other in spite of our differences and our failures and where we make a bold commitment to work through our issues until there is true reconciliation. When I was in seminary, um, I went to this little seminary for a couple of years outside of Philadelphia and um, we, all of our students got assigned an accountability partner and the guy that they assigned to meet was a guy named Ron. Ron was uh, probably... 300 pounds, he was a, a I call a completed Jew, he had a um, real long beard, he had kind of, his hair was kind of long, and, and he had these Coke bottle glasses, I mean, he was, he was practically blind, and um, I just remember in class, he had to read a lot of his, his books just like this, and, and his wife would actually, she was a, a nurse, and, and and was really helping him through seminary, he was very smart, by the way, and, and, and he, he um, uh would just, his wife would read a lot of the books to him, and, and he, but he was my accountability partner, and um, we would sit across from each other at lunch. I, and I'll never forget this. I, he would eat salad, and it was like Thousand Island dressing would just get stuck in his beard and stuff. And it was just, and 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 we would kind of talk back and forth about, it. You know, tell me how your week's been. How's your time with God been? How's you know you praying? And there'd be moments where just authentically, I would just go, Ron, listen. I mean, man, I've just been struggling this week. I, I've, there's been a few days where I've not really engaged my Bible time or my prayer. And, I just remember he would come across the table at me, and it was like his eyes would go. <laughs> and, and he would go, are you kidding me? Are you, do, you, do you know what I've given up for Christ? Do you know that I've lost my whole family? Do you know that, 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 that the price that I've had to pay being growing up in a Jewish household and, 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 and recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, and I'm like, don't hurt me, big man. And by the way, wipe that Thousand Island dressing off your, your beard because I'm scared. And, but it was, it was one of the first times in my life that I remember it truly, experiencing true biblical community where there was just this authenticity and there was this realness and this openness and honesty. And, and I felt this love between this guy and I who, I honestly, I would have never hung out with in college or, or even high school. We just were so worlds apart. How can we as a church, how can we as people truly begin to experience authentic community? How do we get to that place? Well, we've been working through Romans 12 And and, and in verse 9, Paul lays out what a true Christian should look like, and he tells us how that we are to experience authentic community. In verse 9, here's what he says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now I want you to write down this little f- saying, phrase that we're going to work through uh, in the rest, the rest of the time that we're talking here uh, this morning. Here, Authentic community, here it goes. Authentic community occurs when the real you meets real needs for the right reason in the right way. Now, we talked last week and I challenged you to be the real you. To deal with the real you. And, and I challenged you to be honest about your weaknesses and to be honest about your strengths and to really embrace who you are in Christ. And we kind of laid that out. Now, the real you, okay, according to what Paul says, the real you should be characterized by, first of all, authenticity. He says, let love be sincere. The New American Standard says it this way, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, we defined the word hypocrite last week as a person who pretends to be what he or she is not. Now, again, according to Jesus, the greatest witness we have of God's saving grace to the world around us is how we treat each other. How we engage each other, how we handle our differences, how we handle our conflicts, how we act when things don't go our way. Now, I'm going to tell you, and you've heard me say this before. Some of the meanest people that I've ever met in my life are church-going people, all right? You go into a church sometime, and you try to move a communion table from where it was for 50 years. oh, Oh, you will see meanness you've never seen before. Take a cross and move it somewhere out of the church or take it down, whatever, I mean... Oh, my goodness, you'd have thought that they had just removed the the, the cross of Calvary. I mean, I've seen people come unglued. You change the the music style in the church sometime. Seriously. I mean, if we were to do straight-up hymns out of a hymn book for the next month, we'd see some sides of y'all folks that... I'm just telling you. I mean, I've watched it over the years. Some of you have been part of it. Release a staff member from a church. You see things you've never seen before. I mean, it's one thing to release somebody from Home Depot. But when you release a a person who works at a church because they're connected with people, whether it's for a good reason or maybe not, I mean, people get really, really ugly. I have a friend in Texas who uh, took over a dying church. He planted a church in Atlanta, moved to Texas, took over a dying church in a a town in West Texas. And uh, this church was one of the flagship churches in the community for years, and... They brought him in, and he, t- he laid it out real clear with them. He said, if I come here, he said, here's what's going to happen. And, I mean, he had some very strong things that the existing elders had to agree to, which was part of it was that every one of them had to resign. And he basically went through this process, and they wanted to change. They said, this is what we want to do. And, and he, they signed an agreement, and when he came in, he began to change things. <laughs> he got death threats. His wife got death threats. His kids got death threats. He has, to, even to this day, has to walk around with armed guards. He, he and his wife both have them, plain clothes, big dudes with guns. And, and because, but, but he took this church, when he got there, they were running about 1,800. The, about close to 1,000 people left. This was about six or seven years ago, and now they're running over 7,000. Because they got healthy. They made some changes that they needed to make. But I'll tell you what, when you start doing that, oh, people get ugly, ugly, ugly. Listen, if we say we truly love Jesus, we've got to be authentic with each other. We've got to love each other like brothers and sisters. Paul mentions the word purity. He says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. If you're truly a genuine follower of Jesus, then you're going to develop over time, as you grow in Christ, a true hatred towards sin. All right? You're going to begin to despise it. As I said last, or in the first week of this series, there are way too many people who walk into churches just like this one lift my hands and spin around and then they go sleep with somebody sunday night that they're not married to and they wake up the next morning oh, god forgive me and they go through and then it's a pattern that's not what an authentic christ follower looks like by the way and i'm thankful that god is a god of second chances third chances fourth chances but there's consequences for that kind of stuff that happens. And, and Paul says, listen, if we're going to really be the real you, we've got to be pure in our heart. Because when, when, when authentic community begins is when the real you shows up at the table. Someone who is is authentic, loving people in a sincere way, not being hypocritical, embracing purity, hating sin. And an authentic community begins, is experienced when the real you then all of a sudden begins to meet real needs. Write down the word devotion. He says, "Be devoted to one another in brotherly love." The, the phrase "be devoted" is like it means like a family love, like we're really a family. And what Paul is trying to get across here is, is is that we are to be much, much, much more than a group of people that just comes together on Sunday morning just because we like the style of worship. I mean, we, we kind of like the music and this, so we all come together in this building. The idea is to be a family. To treat each other like true brothers, like true sisters. To really lay down your life for someone on a daily basis. To really serve one another. To have a group of people in your life that you are as close to them as you are to your own family. Or in many cases, probably closer. When my dad died um, six years ago this month, we had to go up to the hospital where they had his body. And we had to identify it, and it was a, about a four or five-hour drive up there. And we came back home, and um, I was so thankful. One of the guys in our church, Alan Hornback, just a god thing. He got in our truck and my truck and drove us up. Uh, my brother Kevin and I up to the to the hospital, and it was pouring rain that day uh, coming home. And there was a passion CD in the in the in the CD player, and it just kept playing over and over and over again. I, I'll never forget it. And I just remember sitting next to the passenger door just tears running down my face looking out the window and rain was just pouring down and I, and I thought to myself I don't know what to do right now I've been in a situation just like this on the other side of it where you know I get a call at 1130 at night and, and somebody's died or something bad's happened I know what to do I, I, I know what to do Amy knows what I'm supposed to do I just do it but when I got that phone call I just sat there and I thought I don't know what to do I don't know what to do next I don't know what to do when I get home, I don't know what to do for my mom. I don't know, know what to do for my brothers. I'm the oldest son. I, what do I do? How, how, how do I move forward? And I remember pulling up into my mom's driveway. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning, and there were cars everywhere. I didn't even pay attention to it. But as I walked into the house, there were just people everywhere. And I noticed that they were people in my mom and dad's small group. They had been there all day long. There was my small group. That was just standing in the kitchen, and they didn't say any little trite religious cliches to me. Your dad's in a better place, you know. They they just loved on us. And it was just like they hugged us, they loved on us, they they cried with us. You could feel that they were feeling our pain with us. And the day after, they were there again. And the day I remember the funeral, it was like we just sat there in a waiting line, and it was like you're numb. For those of you who've been through this, you're just you're numb, and and thousands of people coming through, and. And every time I looked around, there were those folks, and they were handing us waters and handing us Kleenexes and, and rubbing our shoulders and bringing my mom chairs. And, 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 and even for the days that followed, it was just like these people engaged our lives. They walked into our situation, into our lives, and they walked through life with us in a way that, that I have never experienced before. Because I remember thinking, okay, I know what to do, but when, when something like this happens to the pastor, who takes care of the pastor? And our elders in the small group that I was part of in my mom and dad's small group, just, they loved on us. And just, listen, it was like when the real me showed up at my mom's house with some very real needs, I was met with the clearest picture of authentic community that I've ever experienced. Authentic community requires devotion. We are to be devoted to each other like a family. It also requires humility. He says, giving preference to one another in honor. In other words, you have to have a passion for the success of another person. Literally, it means to Outdo one another in making each other successful. Now, listen, you want to lose some religion in this place this morning? Give your life to making other people successful. You want to have a great marriage? Give your life to making your spouse successful. Oh, that's hard. You want to clap? It's a good time to clap, okay? I remember an old black pastor named Evie Hill. When I was, Amy and I were first married, we went and heard him speak. And he told us, in this big crowd of about 10,000 people, he said, I'm going to tell you something, my, my goal for my new... He had just been remarried. His wife for years and years had passed away, and he'd been remarried. And he says, my goal is to outserve her. Outserve her. She will never outdo me in the, in the work of service. And when she tries to, I will go further. I will out-serve her. I could, oh, I could get into that. I mean... <laughs> That's tough, isn't it? Outserve your wife. Outserve your husband. Authentic community is experienced when the real you meets real needs. But it's also experienced when the real you meets real needs for the right reason. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, the word lacking means slothful. I don't know if you've ever been called slothful before, but it's not good. All right? We don't use that word a lot in our houses, but it means to be lazy. Okay? you Oh, yeah, I've been that. Okay? I got that in my house. Um, laziness is, is a sin in the Bible. It's, called, it's all throughout the Bible, slothful. It's, it's, it's a sin. What is laziness? Laziness is failure to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Now, when God shows us what needs to be done, what do we need to do? We need to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. When you see a real need, we need to engage that need, not to wait around and see who else is going to do it. Well, someone else will take that. No, no, no. We are called to engage. We're called, listen, to jump in with zeal. All right? And he says that we need to do it with spiritual fervor. That means that we need to be bubbling over with enthusiasm. When someone has a need, we need to jump in with enthusiasm and to meet that need with passion. Why? Serving the Lord. There's the motive. One of the the things that irked Jesus more than anything else about the Pharisees, the religious of the day, is that their motive for their work was to be noticed. They wanted other people to see what it was that they were doing and to pat them on the back, to stroke them, to notice them. I mean, think about this. I mean, how hard is it for you to do something for someone else and never receive credit for it? I mean, it's hard to do, isn't it? The religion in us wants the strokes, the religion in us wants the credit, we want an attaboy we want to be noticed, I'm going to tell you one of the toughest times that I face (laughs) all week long it's the moment that I finish this message and walk down off that stage I'm serious, I mean because it's one of those moments where you know, you just go, how did I do? but I'm going to tell you what, when when I walk away I have to die to all that this is not about me, it's about glory to God Lifting him up, I'm just a vessel, and I pray that as before I walk out the door, Lord, empty me of me. You fill me, engage me, and Lord. Just do. You bring glory to yourself. I mean, it, it's tough. You want to lose some religion? Try doing something for someone else without them ever knowing it was you. Try, try, try giving something significant, a big check or something like that, to someone or, or somewhere, like here, and 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 without <laughs> without ever telling anybody. Without everybody, anybody ever knowing it was you. All right? Now here's a tough one. Try serving someone that you don't really think deserves it. Mm-hmm. That's where you really begin to lose some religion. But you know what? That's how Christ loved us. He loved us the most when we deserved it the least. He went to the cross and died for us, the Bible says, when we deserved it the least. What an amazing picture of true love. That's agape love. Chip Ingram says, True love is choosing to give another person what they need the most when they deserve it the least at at a personal cost. And if you are going to have authentic community, listen, our motives have to be right. Your motives have to be right. An authentic community, if we're going to really get there, it's tough work. It is tough work. So authentic community is experienced when the real you meets real needs for the right reasons, but we have to also do it the right way. There's a right way And there's a wrong way. And the wrong way is to be inward focused where it's all about us taking credit for whatever we do, um, wanting our needs to be met first, forgetting about the world and and, and those around us and and just becoming very inward. And I would say, honestly, that the vast majority of churches have forgotten why they exist. They've forgotten the original mission, the original vision of why the church was planted in the first place. And as a people, our natural tendency is to grow inward, to become self-focused. It's just how we're wired. And since churches are made up of people that are wired that way, churches, without even realizing it, they become that way. We can never, ever, 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 ever let that happen to us. Please. Now, there's a lot of you in this church that are younger than me. I mean, you are probably going to outlive me, outlive you know, your time, my time in this church. I, I don't have a plan of resigning tomorrow or any time soon, but some of you are going to be part of Westridge after I'm, long and go, I'm, after I'm gone. I'm just gone. Now, the, most of you in this church, I have plans. I'm probably going to bury you, okay? I'll just tell you that straight up, all right? I have a plan. To, I've got a plan to live for, I've got a certain year. God and I worked it out. No, not really, but... Listen, if we ever, please, make me a promise if this church ever grows so inward that we forget why we were planted here in the first place, we forget the vision, we forget the mission, we grow inward to the point that we, don't, we no longer care about the community around us, and we get into petty arguing and petty, petty fighting, please close this thing down. Please lock the doors, sell it to the county. Go do something else. I don't ever want to be part of the problem, to be an albatross that just weighs the community down. That just becomes part of the problem rather than part of the solution, and so please, please promise me that you'll just lock the doors and shut it down, and go start little community of churches all over the place where true, authentic community is taking place. We've got to do it in the right way. Well, what's the right way? Well, if the real you is going to meet real needs for the right reason, there's got to be an upward focus. Paul says, "Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer." In other words, we meet the needs of each other. We love each other. We serve each other. We pray for each other with an upward focus. We do it with our hope in God. We meet the needs of others, and we love each other even through the toughest of moments. And we truly pray for each other. We're faithful in prayer. We don't just say, hey, I'm going to pray for you and forget. And then we, we do it with an outward focus. Paul says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hospitality. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where when you hear a need, it's a big need. What do you do? You pull your wallet out. You don't think about it because you realize everything belongs to God anyways. You pull money out and you engage. And you trust God that he's involved and he's going to take care of you. You put your resources into play. When you see a child, you hear about what we're doing in Burkina Faso and you hear about the children that we are sponsoring um, that, that, that have such a great fatality rate. What do you do? you engage you sponsor one of those children I have two one in Burkina one in Kenya we've got a, a little girl named Fatimata, Mata who just I had a chance to meet in January I mean I, I, it just I felt like she was my daughter I mean I just want to love on this little girl but that's what we're supposed to do it's where you get on a plane and, and engage when you hear of a need and you've got time you've got resources you've got sky miles you jump on a plane and you go One of the greatest moments, the memories that I have of the history of this church is we were over at East Pauling High School. We had been working for several years in a little town called Bamboo on the hillside in in Jamaica. And uh, there was a hurricane that came through that just ravished this part of Jamaica. And there was a a family up there, this elderly couple in their 80s who, uh, when we would go to Jamaica, they would cook our meals for us. And um, the roof of their house got blown right off their house. I mean, they were in dire straits. And I got up on that Sunday morning and I challenged Westridge Church. I said, Here's the deal. Here's what's happened. All right. I need sky miles. I need tools. I need money. And I need a group of people that can take off work and get on a plane and go in a couple days. We had 10 people. People were giving their sky miles. People were giving money. People were buying power tools. We were sending tools over. We sent a group of 10 over, I think it was on a Tuesday. They stayed seven days and rebuilt that house better than it ever was. I mean, there wasn't a hurricane going to come through that knocked that thing down to save its life. And I was so proud of this church. And I thought to myself, may we always be ready for that. May we always be, have that mindset where we're, we're willing to engage, drop everything, get on a plane, and just go help people because that's what authentic community looks like. And Paul says, practice hospitality. This might be where you take someone who is down and out and you invite them to live in your home for a little while. It might be where you adopt a child from overseas like Carlos Whitaker and his wife. And like some of you in this church, that's what you've done. You've been to Kenya. You've gone to China. You've gone to Guatemala and, or Russia. And you have brought these children home into your home and made them part of your family. Oh, I love that. Listen, we need to learn to love people. I love this phrase. We need to learn to love people with excellence and extravagance. What a great goal for us. Let's love people with excellence, and let's love them with extravagance. So what step can you take today to experience authentic community? Well, we talked about a lot this morning. Who do we need to begin to serve? That's what you have to ask yourself. Who do I need to begin to serve right now? Who is it in my life that I need to reconcile with? Have the hard conversation. Where do we need to start investing our resources or our time Maybe it's recommitting yourself to a small group. Maybe it's getting into a small group for the first time. Now I've talked a lot about religion in a, you know, in a negative way. I mean, we talked about man's attempt to know and connect with God. We've talked about the ugliness of religion. However, I want you to understand there is a side of religion that God says is acceptable to him. He calls it pure and faultless. There's an aspect of religion that he says, no, I, 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 that's a religion that I like. And in James chapter 1, verse 27, James writes this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James mentions widows and orphans, the two groups of people that have tremendous needs. And he says, when you engage them, you can't go wrong. When you engage people who are at their time of greatest need, Listen, I'm happy. I find that acceptable. I find that pure. I find that faultless. And then he says, watch how you live your life. True religion involves purity. It involves being set apart from the world. Okay? Not allowing the world to pollute us. That, God says, is acceptable. I find that kind of religion faultless. And I think the world, listen, I think the church... I think the church world has done a wonderful job over the years of showing the community and the world around us the ugly side of religion, where they see church splits, they see hypocrisy, they see people being mean-spirited towards each other, firing off nasty emails, getting in someone's face, threatening them, being inward-focused. And let me tell you something. We have got to continue as a church to be different. We have got to continue to be the church, the the shining light on a hill. Where we choose at all costs that we will never, ever, ever act that way. That will not define who we are. We we choose instead to love our community, to love each other with a love that is excellent and extravagant. And that we are always an answer to Jesus' prayer. Not part of the problem, part of the solution that if we were to shut down tomorrow, the community would be desperate. They would miss us tremendously. We're going to lose religion once and for all. Listen, it's upward. It's vertical, but it's horizontal. We have to love people the way Christ loved us. We have to treat people the right way. We have to serve each other without looking for the pat on the back, the perks. We have to forgive each other. We have to go after reconciliation. And we have to be involved in each other's lives like a family, devoted like a family. And when that happens, when we can continue to go down that road, listen, authentic community just develops and, and things happen around you. You go, oh, I just, I, I just can't believe that, that God has allowed me to experience a life like this have a chance to be part of something like this. It's a beautiful thing. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I want you to stand. And as you're standing with heads bowed, I want you you to right now make a commitment in your heart and say, listen, I commit at this moment to be an answer to Jesus' prayer. That I will strive for unity at all costs that I will never allow myself to be slothful. I will engage. When I hear of a need, I'm telling you, I'm in. I will never allow myself to, to, to treat each other or to treat someone else the way we see the world treating each other around, you know, around us or, or the way that we've seen people treated in, in church before. I will never be that person that fires off that nasty email, that gets in someone's face. I, I, w- I will be an answer to the problem. I will be part of the solution because I want authentic community. Because authentic community is what really truly pleases God. I want the real me to engage real needs in the right for the right reason, for the right way. And Lord, please, please never let me fall away from that. Help me never to grow inward. Let me be a difference maker in this community, in this world. When I represent Jesus, when I represent the church. Let people see the real Jesus. Let them see the church for how it was truly set up to be in all of its glory. Lord, would you help me to do that today? Let's make that commitment this morning. Let that be our anthem and our cry. Help us to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name.